Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. Today's cool fact of the day is about germs. What's the dirtiest place you might actually touch on a regular basis? It turns out it's not your toilet, probably because of excessive cleaning with all sorts of strange chemical products that most toilets get. According to the Wall Street Journal, the average office desk has about 400 times more germs than the toilet seat. And if you think that's bad, the ATM machine is probably at least as bad as the doorknob of a public restroom. So it turns out if you're going to be germphobic, you need to buy even more of that hand sanitizer and start smearing it on yourself all the time. No answers about what that'll do to your liver. We have a great interview today with Christine Peterson, an expert on life extension and new technologies for maximum performance. If you're one of those people who wants to do everything possible to extend life and become better at everything, this show is for you. Christine Peterson writes, lectures, and briefs the media on coming powerful technologies, especially nanotechnology and life extension. She's the co-founder and former president of the Foresight Institute, the leading nanotech public interest group. Foresight educates the public, technical community, and government policymakers about nanotechnology and its long-term effects. 
Christine joins us today on Upgraded Self Radio to talk about some of the latest technologies for extending life and improving performance. And importantly, Christine is in charge of the Life Extension Conference, which is coming up in the San Francisco Bay Area, where I, along with a bevy of other leaders in the field, will be talking about various ways to manage your health. Christine, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks, Dave. Our first question today is one that you've probably answered many times in your role as a, as a spokesperson here. But what are some of the most powerful new emerging technologies that you see for extending human life? Well, it depends on what time frame you're looking at, Dave. And uh, you're in this field, of course, so I think um, that you know. I think if you look in the longer term, then things like nanotechnology and artificial intelligence look very promising. And we can expect really stunning advances from those. Um, The particular conference where you'll be speaking soon is focused more on the nearer term. So there we're looking at more, uh, we're we're aiming at a near time frame, say either things that are available now or within the next couple of years. So uh, that would include on the longer term end of that, um, things like stem cells uh, where we're starting to see applications. And then in the near term, we're starting to see um, substances that can affect your telomeres the ends of your DNA strands that you lose over time. So it's a wide variety of things, and uh, we'll be exploring all of them. And, of course, we're counting on you, Dave, to uh, help us with the uh, bulletproof diet. I, uh, I'm more than pleased to be presenting it at the conference and the, the toxin avoidance thing certainly maybe even could help with the telomere thing. We've also had uh, Bill Andrews on the show previously who, who did a lot of really good stuff around telomere extension and different compounds that have an impact there. When we get a little bit further beyond, you know, what are we going to do around some genetic repair because we're taking the right antioxidants and reducing nitric oxide and other things that that we'll be covering at the the show, where does it go when you get a little bit further out there? You're looking at what kind of time frame? 10 years, 20 years? Let's go out like 50. Like like we're talking... We talk about, you know, being superhuman on the show. We talk about literally, you know, what can you do to extend your performance beyond what you thought you could do? And, of course, we're talking about what we do now. But, like, when we go to that kind of time frame, like, put on your futurist hat and tell us, like, what superpowers are we going to have when we get that far out? Well, that's great fun, Dave. I didn't realize I was going to have this much fun. Um, Well, let's say, seriously, 50 years. Uh, Now you're – now you are really talking – uh, into the range of molecular nanotechnology. Um, and that's when we get into the more exotic applications for medicine and health, things uh, that we call today uh, cell repair machines. Who knows what we'll call them then? But the point is that at some point, and I would imagine this is going to happen in 50 years, we'll be able to um, send in devices down at that, at that uh, nanoscale that can do things like deliberately repair DNA, repair cellular structures, repair whatever. Uh, And at that point, you say, well, what health problem are we not able to address? And at that point, you think, well, gee, I'm having trouble thinking of one. That's where you go in and you actually fix whatever is wrong. And so 
then then the question of aging uh, becomes, well, I guess a voluntary process. If people want to do that for whatever reason, then you just don't do the repairs. But probably most of us are going to say, you know, I really would be interested in, in being healthy and staying healthy. And so um, aging becomes an optional process. Do you believe that we now or even over the next 50-year time frame will have enough kind of engineering level understanding of all the different biochemical pathways and epigenetic responses to the environment to actually know where to send the robots to do their work? Well, obviously there's, that's a great question. Obviously there's an immense, stunning amount of science to be done before we can, before we can uh, actually apply these technologies to aging human bodies. But uh, the point here is that with the technologies we're discussing, we'll have the tools to do that science. So, you know, yes, there's, there's, it, it's extraordinarily complex. Um, but if you have these tools, and of course, um, you also need pretty, pretty advanced software tools. This isn't just a hardware problem. This is an analysis problem also. But those tools also are improving rapidly. So, if we're serious about a 50-year time frame, then you see pretty darn dramatic stuff happening in that time frame. One of the most important areas for all this to happen, in my mind, is what we're calling big data. And, and I'm, I'm one of the very, very early cloud computing kind of forefather guys where, when that first emerged as a technology that, that made large-scale computing accessible for relatively cheap amounts of money. And uh, in fact, I'm speaking at another conference, the the one put on by GigaOM called Structured Data in New York in, in a couple weeks. So I, I see the the progress curve there going enormously to the point we can analyze just stupefying amounts of data. The problem is we don't collect this data very well. So we have the quantified self-movement where there's people, geeks like me, uh, who you know measure various things about their blood chemistry or about the way they breathe or the way their heart beats and everything else and toss it up in a big database in the sky where we can start learning things that no one has ever known before about humanity. Is that sort of reverse engineering process going to be what drives this or are we going to sort of engineer things the way we engineer the iPhone today? Like, Are we going to sort of be predictive or are we just going to be more introspective about looking at large sets of data and just figuring stuff out? Well, I, I think we're going to be at tackling this problem from multiple directions. And I am probably am not in a position to predict who, which, which of these various approaches is going to make the most rapid progress. But I think uh, we should try them all. I mean, it's a big problem. It's an extremely important problem. And uh, whoever has a pathway that they think is going to help should throw what they throw their effort at that and help the way they can. Um, you know, you you have a special skill in cloud computing, so you're going to be contributing there. There may be others who come at it a different way, and, and that's welcome as well. Um, hopefully, they will all meet in the middle, and that's when we solve this problem. I like to encourage, you know, 100 flowers to bloom in this space and say, all right, you know, everybody takes their shot. Let's see how fast we can go. That's pretty inspiring, at, at least uh, to a biohacker like me. What about this little problem of what I'll just call maybe scientific ego, where we get someone who has a theory, it gets promoted, it enters government regulations, it enters the public sphere, and it won't die. Something like, say, uh, a low-fat diet 
you know, kind of high in soy. Where we, we kind of have enough data now to know that it's bad, but the average person who isn't into, you know, personal performance or anti-aging or something just probably doesn't understand all of the things we know there. The lag is is like maybe a 30 to 50 year lag between when we figure something out and when it enters the human consciousness. Do you see that changing? Well, first you're you're right about the lag. The lag has been very large. I think there is hope though that that lag is going to decrease. I think that people more and more are turning to information sources where there's at least some crowdsourced element where uh, instead of saying, well, I need to know something about health and, gee, I'll go to uh, a federal government health website and see what is the accepted wisdom, more and more people are just going out and saying, let's see what's on the Internet. Let's see what people are citing, what's, what's being linked to, um, what are some interesting sites where I can get things I can really understand. Um, so I th- there definitely is hope. There's definitely hope. Um, now, I think we have a long way to go before the quality, contr- the quality control mechanisms, let's say quality indicators, let's say the, the quality indicators for information uh, that's crowdsourced are not quite there yet. So we need to work on that so that people can realize, okay, just because it comes out at the top of a, of a uh, search engine search doesn't necessarily mean this is correct. On the other hand, you know, we've all been surprised, I think, how relatively good the information is on sites like Wikipedia, considering how it's generated. So not that I'm saying it's perfect. I know very well it isn't. Uh, And it can be quite hard to correct, um, especially on political matters. But um, my understanding is they do better on science. So, yes, there absolutely is hope. And the new insights on diet that we're seeing that we'll be talking about at the conference, even though they are, as you say, probably decades away from working their way into government websites, I think they are making much faster progress in terms of uh, spreading out among the general population. Certainly there will be subsets of the population, very large ones, that are not reached. And there's not a whole lot you can do about that. But for those who know how to use the tools and know how to judge quality information without, say, official government stamp of approval, those people are developing new ideas and testing them much faster, I think. And you know, Dave, this is true, much faster than we used to uh, in the old days of paper, So, uh, which I can remember quite well. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, there's hope. Um, it's it's distressing that our government agencies are on the other side of the battle, um, especially in areas of supplements. I've heard some really distressing stories from people who are trying to bring these out to market about how, how difficult it can be and how they're being discouraged. But we'll just keep plugging away on that and try to maintain our freedom in, in the area of health. I had a chance once to ask the the former associate surgeon general, basically the guy who was responsible for heading the FDA efforts, uh, asked him the day after he retired from his position uh, at a very small investor conference with about 25 people, you know, why he was blocking investment in nutritional supplements because it wasn't an investor conference after all. And and he just looked and said, oh, you'd have to ask Congress about that, which just drove me nuts because you know he, he's at the agency that 
that's been ordered by Congress to adhere to the rules Congress made, and they just won't do it, uh, referring to the 1994 DSHEA regulation that basically says if, you know, if a nutritional supplement exists in nature, it's a food, it's not a drug, and you can't treat it like a drug. Uh, so I, I, I share your frustration and also your hope there, where it, it really, things are changing so quickly and knowledge travels so fast these days that it's going to be really hard to sort of pull the wool over people's eyes for intentional corporate reasons in 10 years from now than it was, say, 30 years ago. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and one of the things I've been advocating, Dave, is that um, those of us who want to experiment and take control of our own health and who want to make our own decisions on things like nu nutritional supplements and dietary supplements, um, we need... And or we need to be able to defend ourselves legally in Washington. And my suggestion is that we need to do what we know works, which is do things like set up um, a standard lobbying organization, have our own PAC, things like that. Um, there are ways to turn money into influence in Washington. They are very well known. Uh, and we, we really have to break down and say, all right, let's just do it. It's not fun. You kind of have to hold your nose. But um, otherwise, we're very vulnerable. So I think the people who are interested in this, who can write large checks, need to come together and actually form that organization and say, all right, we're going to write some checks here and we're going to defend ourselves. Uh, so I've been promoting this idea in various uh, venues, and I'll just keep at it until we can get this going. It seems like guys like Bill Gates, who has sort of some harebrained you know, mosquito vaccine sorts of things going on, uh, as well as Larry Ellison and uh, Sergey Brin, who have pretty much sick amounts of money and also have this desire to not necessarily die. Um, certainly, each one of them has has sort of made their own contribution and has their own interest in anti-aging just from a, a pure selfish motive, it seems like guys like that would be really interested in sort of supporting their own right to choose radical life extension or life enhancement technologies. But I haven't seen much lobbying from that perspective. Am I just missing it or are they not doing this even though they easily could? They're not doing lobbying, no. The lobbying organizations, that I haven't really heard of the kind of thing that I'd like to see happen. So, no, I don't think that the billionaires yet have stepped up much, uh, especially the, the ones you've mentioned. Those particular ones have not stepped up to taking on the political side. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of work to do here. And, you know, it, it could be that rather than go for the name brand billionaires that you and I can just rattle off, it could be we should go for the less well-known ones <laughs> who aren't, you know, who aren't approached every microsecond for money. Um, there are a lot of well-off individuals who want to live longer who are, are not named brands. Um, and so we may need to reach out to those folks. Sort of like the, the middle millionaire Kickstarter for political lobbying for life enhancement. We need a better acronym, but uh, I hear what you're saying. Right. Christine, let's bring the conversation back to what our listeners can do right now. What do you think of DNA testing? Is it a good, actionable piece of information to go out and have your genetics tested and determine your susceptibility to certain diseases or conditions, or is it just something you shouldn't worry about? 
Absolutely. Uh, it absolutely is actionable. Um, and I know that because it gave, when I had mine done, it gave me something to do, which I took action on immediately. So I know for a fact uh, that it is. And the prices on that, by the way, have come way down. So if any of our listeners uh, have ideas that, gee, this is very expensive, you really need to check uh, check the websites again because the prices have come way down in the last few years to the point where, I mean, I would say almost anyone really should do this and should do it uh, do it soon. Uh, one of the reasons you want to do it soon is there is at least some movement in, in uh, government to try to in, uh, inhibit your right to, to get this information. So you do want to get it soon, just in case. Uh, and then in terms of action, I know that one of the things that you get back uh, are some are some data regarding your uh, how well certain prescription drugs will work on you. Now that could be needed at any time. You want to have that. You want to have that information before you need it. You don't want to wait on that. And in my case, I was told that I had an increased susceptibility to a particular health condition, and I realized, you know. Now that you mention it, I've seen some early signs of this, and I was able to take immediate action to kind of head that off. So, and and I should mention that in addition to getting practical information, there's some fun stuff in there that actually is enjoyable and kind of entertaining to hear. Uh, so um, I'll give you an example of that. One of the uh, things they check, I have no idea why they check this. It's just an interesting thing they are able to check, uh, is do you have the gene that means that having been breastfed, if you were breastfed, did that probably give you about six or seven IQ points? In other words, are you were, are you of the type of person, do you have the genetic profile to be benefited from being breastfed? I had no idea this was a genetic condition. And it turns out, uh, you find out, yes or no. In my case, it was yes. So I was able to call up my mom and say, mom, thanks, good job. And we all got a big kick out of that. So it has an entertainment factor, as well as being very practical, actionable information and very inexpensive. Um, so, so absolutely, that's something to do uh, right away. It's kind of funny that you brought that one up of, of all the topics. Uh, the topic of my book that's coming out from Wiley sometime soon is, you know, what do you do to influence epigenetics in order to have a smarter baby? <laughs> Most definitely. Eating good food and breastfeeding will change the intelligence. You know, six or seven points right there is one of the things you can do, in iodine and many other things. So th the idea that we can change ourselves as adults is really cool. But talk about plastic, easy to manipulate things. If you want to just make sure you have adequate nutrition and low stress and things like that, uh, when you're planning a family and when you're first having a family, the differences that happen over multiple generations of humanity are, are pretty profound. Like it's a short amount of your effort and a huge gift that lasts a whole lifetime. It, it's kind of like the easiest thing you could ever do. Yeah, and this is something I, I'm not an expert on, so I'm looking forward to looking at your book. But um, I think this is a great example of, of something that very few people know about yet. Uh, the whole epigenetic technique thing is, is this is, you know, the insiders such as you, Dave, are, are familiar with this, but and, and the information is spreading through kind of relatively knowledgeable people such as the attendees at the Life Extension Conference, but the general public is just clueless on this and um, including your educated general public. So that means there's a wonderful opportunity to get that information out there and do people a tremendous amount of good. So I'm glad to hear you've got that in your new book. 
I'm I'm sort of itching trying to get Wiley to move up the publication date. <laughs> so let's uh, let's hope they do that because even if if someone doesn't know about this, the idea that you can have a healthier, smarter baby and even healthier and smarter grandkids by doing a few things now, you don't necessarily have to fully grasp or even want to grasp the concept of epigenetics. You just sort of need to you know trust that someone's figured it out and that there are some easy things you can do and pick the low hanging fruit and lo and behold there are results. Uh, I think for life extension over multiple generations, that's probably one of the most powerful things you could ever do. And it doesn't even require a robot or a laser. Hmm. Very exciting. Uh, what's the name of your book, Dave? It's called The Better Baby Book. Okay. We okay. have some some initial blogs, things about you know, vitamin D and, and things like that are up at betterbabybook.com. Uh, but overall, we're, we're saving most of the, the big stuff for the book itself. You know, there's 1,300 references behind it. We're publishing 900 of them in the book for length, and it's it's pretty well researched. And you know, the things come out every day. So I just uh, I, I think this is one of those things people can act out of a self interest and say, let's you know, extend the quality of my life. You know, let's add years to my life and life to my years, sort of thing. But there's the step beyond that, which is, you know, what do we do that's species-specific so that the entire species evolves in a better way? And doing that is is kind of a profound gift you can give back, and it will improve the quality of your life too. So it's uh, it's one of the reasons that we wrote the book. Well, one of the strongest, as you know, Dave, one of the strongest human drives is to make life better for your children. And so if if you can point out some easy ways to do that, I think people will do them. Now, here's a question that actually may have epigenetic impacts. I don't know. Maybe you know. Bill Andrews, we mentioned him earlier, who's been on the show, who's really looking at extending telomere length and looking at ways of preventing telomere degradation. Do you think that's uh, a good direction to go in in terms of, of life extension and in terms of even increasing quality of life? Or are we kind of barking up another tree or are you not sure? What's your take on that whole, we need better telomeres? Um, as far as I can tell, we need we definitely need better telomeres. I think it's just one aspect, though, of the problem, right? This is a multi-dimensional problem. You've got a, a system which is failing in many different ways at one time. So, I, I as far as I can tell, I, I don't think it's the case that the, that you know solve the telomere problem and you've solved the aging problem. And and most people, I think, would not go along with that. But it does seem to be an important aspect of the problem. So, and 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 one of it is it does seem to be one of the ones where we're making some progress, which is great. Most of what I've heard so far from friends is anecdotal. Um, you know, I haven't. I don't think there've been any really big studies yet on this. Uh, the substances that are being tested for um, at lengthening your telomeres or, or even just preserving the length of their telomeres. But friends of mine who've tried these, these things uh, give good reviews. They think they see a result and fairly quickly. For example, one friend uh, reported a fairly dramatic improvement in her uh, vision. Um, as we all know, as we age, we have more and more trouble uh, getting our eyes to focus quickly between long distance and short distances, uh, it gets very, it gets harder and harder to do that. Uh, but she saw an improvement and a pretty dramatic improvement after not too long taking taking these um, taking one of these. I believe it was TA sixty five. So that's just uh, anecdotal, obviously, but it is a dramatic improvement and pretty interesting to me, anyway. So 
yeah, um, I don't think it's it's not the end of the story, but it is an int- it is a key part of the story. And if we can find if we can find ways to keep those telomeres doing better, uh, I think that's going to be very exciting. And not just in terms of lengthening maximum lifespan, but uh, improving immediate uh, immediate health right now. So even just uh, squaring the curve, improving quality of life for people who are getting older. And obviously this has positive consequences for society as well. We're increasingly burdened with frail and uh, with frail seniors who need more and more care and more and more expensive health care. If there's something we can do to get those costs down and make these folks more independent, everybody wins big time. Uh, so there's, you know, there's helping them as individuals, there's helping society. It all points in the same direction. Let's Let's see what we can do to um, to alleviate these these symptoms of aging. That's maybe one of the most important points that I hope you know, some of our listeners. I, I know we have a lot of the Singularity Institute uh, people who enjoy this podcast, and, and I hope that you, know, you guys in particular are listening to that message because when we stand up and say we want to extend the human lifespan to two hundred years, um, I fully believe, given all the technology curves, yes. We can do that and we can probably go beyond that. But the average person, when you say that, looks at you like you've got an extra eyeball growing out of your forehead and it makes it very hard to have a, a conversation because like you've already lost you've already lost them just because you sound crazy. Likewise, fifty years ago, if you said we're all gonna walk around with these little tiny TVs that fit in our pocket and let us have a video call with anyone else we want, it you sounded crazy and you probably were crazy. So just technology moves like this and that's the way it is. So the people who are at the very cutting edge oftentimes um are nearly indistinguishable from people who are a little bit nuts. So the way to to bring what we do to the mainstream really involves what you just talked about, which is you know what? You can feel better. You can do more. You can be more. And the message of adding more life to your years resonates with every human being. The notion of you can add more years to your life is just harder to believe. So I, I think by focusing on, oh my God, look how good it can be. Oh, and by the way, you actually got an extra 10 years out of that. Pretty cool, huh? We can bring this to the mainstream in a, a whole different way than, than we do today at the edges of the life extension movement. That's right, Dave. And um, I think it's hard for those of us who are used to these ideas to realize how deeply ingrained among the general public is the idea that living longer means being ill. That's what it means to them. And it's going to take quite a bit of of uh, persuasion and re-education to get them to think differently about this. So if you just, for many people, if you just say life extension or longevity, they are picturing living longer in a nursing home bed. That's what they're picturing. So that's why those messages don't work with them. It is not an appealing picture. It isn't an appealing picture to any of us, obviously. So that's why we need to come at this a little differently. Um, I may even change the name of the conference. Right now it's the Personalized Life Extension Conference, and it pulls in people who understand that by life extension we mean extending your health span. Um, but if you want to make it really big, you got to let that term go because um, it conjures up pictures of living longer and older and older and more frail. And so it's possible I'm going to have to let that go and go with a just a simple health-oriented message. We, there's a huge education process needed, and, and we've only just started that. 
there's that picture of sort of like the aging Borg, you know, full of tubes and, and all that. And, and that's sort of a, a living hell that a lot of people do envision as, you know, the, what happens when you get old. So I, I would support your, your thinking there that says, you know, the health span conference or, or whatever else, uh, whatever other words resonate. It's the same reason that we changed the, the Smart Life Forum, this, this almost 20 year old anti aging nonprofit group that I lead. We changed the name to the Silicon Valley Health Institute because it's a more mainstream thing. People understand health, but if you, you, you Silicon Valley Anti Aging Institute conjures up those things. So would, to the people who listen here, you know, you can focus on living a long time or you can focus on living more. And if you live more, <laughs> And you're more powerful and you feel better, you'll live longer too. Like they go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive. They're not opposite. Yeah, I think that probably the listeners to this show uh, are probably pretty sophisticated and they, they get this point and it's, it's uh, but I mean, it, to the mainstream, it's, it's a tough point. So yeah, what, I, what we talk about for this particular conference, and you can divide these um, longevity conferences into two groups. One is the research conferences, uh, for example, Aubrey de Grey's conference, which is wonderful, um, where they're really trying to attack the uh, maximum lifespan problem. And then there's conferences like this one that we're talking about here, the Personalized Life Extension Conference, where we're we're really talking about squaring the curve. In other words, uh, you know, Aubrey wants to help you live longer than 120, uh, this conference wants to help you get to 120 in excellent health so that we're hoping by that time Aubrey's help will kick in. But regardless of whether he's successful or not, at least we've got our, you know, 90 to 120 years of excellent health. And so that's that's what we're trying to do here. And we want to help people do things right now because even for very young people, there are things you can do right now that will make a difference in terms of your health span. Um, we have people in their 20s who come to the conference and um, I explained to them, look, you've got to get a baseline right now. You're as healthy, you know, given today's technology, you're as healthy as you're ever going to get. Find out you want to characterize your body as in as great detail as you can right now so that 10, 20, 30 years from now, when you go to your doctor and you can give him or her that data and say, here, make me into this person. What do you have? What can you do for me to get me back into the state? I want to be as close to that as I can. So, it doesn't matter how old you are. There are things you can do right now. Christine, you make an excellent point about that, and that's one of the things I think a lot of people should be doing. I wanted to talk a little bit more about this conference. One of the things you talked about a second ago is how a lot of people have the idea that aging is just means being sick when you're older. And another one of the things a lot of people I hear say is that technology makes people you know, weaker, lazier, dumber, and less healthy. Will anyone at the conference be talking about that? And do you think that's true? Well, we will be looking at uh, technologies, technologies that are health-related. And so one of my favorite ones is, uh, for example, the Zio Sleep Monitor. This is a, you know, it's a technology. It's a gadget. It's a thing that you wear when you sleep. And basically, it records the quality of your sleep, all the different stages, like the REM and the deep sleep and the light sleep. Uh, and it gives you a chart. And then what, what it will help you do is graph that versus various things you want to change uh, to see how well you can optimize your sleep, which, um, you know, great sleep is not only does it make you feel fantastic, which is, is really nice, but um, it also uh, has an impact on lifespan uh, and, and lots of health conditions, obviously. So 
So here we have a piece of equipment, a piece of technology, which really helps you get in better touch with, uh, with how your body is doing and helps you make personal behavior changes because really a lot of what's going on with health span today isn't, it, it's, it's behavior based, right? It's what do you eat? You know, what kind of exercise do you do? All these kinds of behavioral things, stress levels. So any kind of technological tool that will help you um, monitor yourself, learn your body better, learn what works for you, and then give you some kind of uh, signal that will help you make those habit changes. Because it takes, you know, it takes a little bit of willpower. For example, you know, you may be pretty heavily dependent on caffeine. A lot of us are. Uh, you may have a suspicion uh, that that caffeine level is interfering with your sleep. Uh, but, you know, you're really pretty dependent. It's not an easy thing to change. But what I found for myself is that once I had concrete data, I did a little experiment. I got some concrete, clear data that said, you know, that last caffeinated beverage of the day, that one is really messing you up. And you will feel better and have a better life if you can just for that last one, switch from calf to decaf, just that one. Everything else stays the same. You're not, you know, it's not like you don't ever get to drink caffeine again. It's just we're going to make that one change. And I was able to do it because I had the data. And the data told me, you know, your body doesn't like this. Uh, maybe other people can do it, but you cannot do it. And you're going to be happier if you stop. So those kinds of uses of technology where they help you improve your life by changing your behavior, I just think they're very exciting. And they, I think they really work. They do work, and they also have the potential to teach us new things that are totally unexpected. Uh, for instance, if you were collecting your heart rate variability data during this experiment, you would probably notice that after you have decaf, your heart rate variability would drop and your autonomic nervous system stress could potentially go up. And this is a function of what happens when you decaffeinate coffee. It turns out decaffeinated coffee makes a ton of people feel awful because it's almost universally contaminated with mycotoxins. Uh, caffeine's an antifungal that keeps coffee from molding. And when you wash the caffeine out, you get coffee that is just about unstable and is almost certainly unhealthy. So like you might be better off going with, say, a decaf green tea or some other substance. But the cool thing is whether or not you pick that up with your system, if we have enough data from enough people and we put that all in one place, we're going to find, wait, there's a trend. When people are doing this decaf stuff, whether or not it's Swiss water process or whether or not it's you know the traditional chemical uh, solvent extract coffee, hmm, it seems like it's not having no effect on people. It's having a negative effect that's different than you know any perceived uh, other effects, say, from caffeine or the other uh, bioactive, psychoactive chemicals in coffee. That's right, Dave. And um, in my case, I was dealing with tea, so I'm hoping that maybe this issue doesn't affect me. But Oh, you're, it, it's not the same in tea. It's a specific problem to coffee. That's oh, cool. So okay. yeah, decaf tea is good. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Just checking on that. But, um, but two things. One is I think your point, um, one, one of the points you're making that I think is important for people to understand is that we are dealing with extraordinarily complex systems here. And you can fix one problem and screw something else up at the same time. So, uh, so that's why we just have to do, there's no other choice. We have to do what you say, which is we have to collect a lot of data, uh, both on our own self, uh, and then 
uh, group it with other people's data to try to tease out those patterns. And so I'm always looking for patterns either in my own data or in group data to try to say, all right, what should we do differently? Because um, the problem with aging is it's very hard. It's gonna, we're going to really have to push. Um, it's going to probably take dozens or hundreds of different way, different approaches to try to solve this problem. So, uh, and we're, we're, we're just taking baby steps right now. We're in the very early stages of addressing this issue. So it's really going to take everything we have to try to solve this in time for some of us like me who, um, you know, can remember before the internet. So we, we need to push hard on this and, and work together as a team. And I think, I think that's the point you're making. It's totally true. There's also this, this risk of, of sort of getting lost in the data. And if you collect too much data and you rely exclusively on algorithmic interpretations of the data, you lose that, that creative, intuitive spark that's been behind the enlightenment, that's been behind you know, the discovery of the structure of DNA. You know, I forget if it was Watson or Crick who you know, woke up from a dream of you know, two coiled serpents and said, wait, that's the structure. And, and so there's a lot of what, what I would say are nonlinear things that happen with some of the great thinkers across history and even today with great thinkers. So I'm, I'm hoping that as we progress and we work on this aging problem together, that there's room for both data and also for those great gaps or great leaps of faith or intuition or whatever you call it that will come together and let us test so, sort of for some mad reason, test the things that matter the most sooner rather than just sort of crunching through every possible algorithmic um, perturbation that we could. What do you think about that? That, you know, are we killing creativity as we look at more and more and more data or is there space for both? The way I see it is they play together to me. I think they play together to some extent synergistically because you have on the one side, you have human genius. Um, and I think there are some very brilliant people and we're going to be having some of them, I hope, at this conference, those uh, speaking and in, in the audience who have those sparks of creative genius, who, who see the patterns that others miss. Uh, and then obviously there's a role for the data as well. You know, you need the data. There's no question, and, and algorithmic techniques may pull out very interesting things. So I, I don't see these necessarily as conflicting. I think, um, I think in, this is another case where the hundred flowers bloom, where you, you say, look, we're going to try everything. Let's just, let's see, let's see, you know, let's collect the data, see what we can come up from, with from that, and let's let the geniuses loose with their creative sparks. And they tend to be kind of unusual people, Dave. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> not that you are one, Dave. I would never imply that. But um, but if you look at our speaker list, these are unusual folks, right? These are mostly, I mean, these are not cookie-cutter kind of people. These are think-out-of-the-box kind of folks. And that's why they're coming, because they, you know, they're, you know, if they were, if they were mainstream folks, you know, they'd all be working for Kaiser or for the FDA and they wouldn't be looking for these interesting creative things as they are doing. So, so I love those kind of people. I think they have an absolutely key role to play. I'm really looking forward to the conference. In fact, I would encourage people who are listening who are, are able to make it to the Bay Area for this. It, it's, you know, over a weekend, uh, I'm certainly going to be presenting. But some of the other guys, like uh, Steve Folks, is, is one of my favorite speakers. Steve is the author of Smart Drugs and Nutrients 2, and he's an advisor to the Silicon Valley Health Institute, the nonprofit uh, 
that I run. And I mean, this guy seriously puts me to shame. I mean, I, I know a lot of stuff, but when I don't know something, he's the first guy I call. And so I can't wait to hear what he's going to talk about because I know that I'm going to learn something from him. And that's the caliber of uh, a speaker that that's on the agenda for the conference. So it, it's, it's going to be fun. And even if you're not into life extension, you just want to feel good, you'll learn something and you'll, you'll see things and you'll hear things that really most people never get to. So I, I think it's going to be a fun conference, even for people who aren't absolute biohackers like, uh, like you or me. Oh, totally. I think, and we always were very practical and action oriented at this meeting. So every speaker, no matter how theoretical at the end, we pull out of them. What are, you know, tell, what are you recommending we do? Are you saying we should take the supplement? Are you saying we need to do this other thing? Give us a concrete action item. So uh, we always pull that out. So even the least technical people in the audience always come away with, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do here. So uh, I encourage everyone, no matter how, and they can be very technical, they can be very non-technical. They can be um, oriented toward uh, longevity, or they can be just oriented toward being healthy and feeling great. Either way, we will try to um, fulfill that goal. That's, uh, it's awesome. And Thank you so much for putting on the conference. This is it's the sort of thing without a lot of passion. It, they just don't come together. And getting minds like that in one place is, uh, is an unusual thing, and it's an important thing. Yeah. I want to make sure, though, remember, Dave, make sure that your listeners don't pay the full price. That's important. We want to, give, we want to make sure they get that discount. Absolutely. In fact, um, the discount code, I know the one for Smart Life Forum, so we'll use that one. A discount code is SLF, capital letters. Very hard to remember. Uh, if you if you register with that code, you uh, you save fifty dollars on registration. That's right, and they can find the whole thing at lifeextensionconference.com. Funny, I was just about to ask you to uh, to repeat that. By the way, that'll be in our show notes, so that everyone who comes to uh, to find this will be able to link to that directly from the site. Yeah. So yeah, if they go there soon, you know, the conference uh, starts at the end of March on March 31st. So if they go soon, they'll get the super early rate plus your discount. And that's, you know, that's about the best we can do. So uh, I, I want, I want all your listeners there if they can make it. Most definitely. Christine, earlier in the interview, you talked about a little bit how some of the people who are interested in stuff are a little weird. And I think I'm definitely one of those people. And it's hard to find information or at least reliable information about a lot of these topics. What are some of the books and resources that you recommend that are credible pieces of information that our listeners can go out and find and look for when they're interested in this kind of information? Well, that's, that's a challenging question, actually, harder than you'd think, because um, one of the re- often in, in cutting edge areas, the reasons that you have a conference is because uh, the information is outpacing the books. And of course, with the web, there's lots of information, but it's, as I say, it's kind of hard to tell the quality. So what I try to do is, um, you know, I try to pick our speakers so that they're very good in their area. Now, that doesn't mean they know everything about everything. This is a huge, huge space. And the fact is that nobody knows everything. So that's why we have to come together. Um, that said, I mean, uh, our, one of our speakers is Terry Grossman, um, with, uh, he wrote a book with Ray Kurzweil on life. He wrote a couple of them on life extension and those are both, uh, good places to start. If you're just starting another of our speakers that Dave has mentioned is Bill Andrews. 
And there may be books on telomeres out there. I'm sure there are, but I am not sure any of them really address the new substances that are coming out right now that you can take to try to protect your telomeres. So that's a case where it's just not there. Even finding the information on the web is hard, which I think is, is one of your points. So part of what we're seeing, you know, part of the reason we come together is, well, at least we'll get it, you know, we'll, we will take the best people we can find. We will extract from them verbally what they know. And then from there, we can try to get it onto the web. We can try to get it into videos so that people can do something about it. So I know Dave is, Dave is already working on books. That's great. And of course he has his website, which is, 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 uh, very knowledgeable. But for example, you know, we have, uh, we have, um, a hormones, a speaker on hormones. Um, I don't think she has a book out. So I think there are some bioidentical hormone books out there, but I haven't read them. So I can't necessarily say you have to read this book and that's the way to go. Um, a lot of this is very cutting edge stuff and there just isn't a book. So I think what the best I've been able to do for some of this cutting edge stuff is find the person, whoever it is, who can speak about it knowledgeably, put them on the speaker list. And so one thing you can do is go to their website and, you know, look at the topic they've been invited to speak on and see what's on their website about that topic. You know, nobody's 100% perfect on every topic. So I've tried to get them to speak on the topic that where I feel the most confident with them. Um, so that would be the best I can say. It's, it's cutting edge stuff. It isn't always in books and what's on the web can be a mixed, you know, it's a mixed bag, frankly. One of the problems with books is if you go with a big publisher, I mean, I, I'm thankful that we're, we're publishing with Wiley, who's incredibly well-respected, one of the top publishers, but my God, the publishing cycle has been like two years. By the time it comes out, I know there'll be some new study that I really wanted to put in the book. So we're, we're building the website to essentially be an extension of the book to let people come in and get you know the latest rev of the recommendations because literally I, I'm starting to use both for the Bulletproof Diet and for the Better Baby program. Uh, dot revisions like we do in Silicon Valley for software releases where you can say, well, this is version one, this is version 1.2. And, you know, in two years when 10,000 more studies are out, <laughs> we're going to probably change 20% of our recommendations to reflect the latest actual science. So it's very hard for someone who sends out, you know, slabs of dead trees on an 18-month cycle to keep up with the flow of information. And, and that may be one reason that, you know, it, it's harder to know what books are even out there or are the right ones. We're printing more and we're doing it too slowly. Well, I think part of the problem is, especially in fast-moving fields, and this is what you're finding, is that it's just very frustrating. You want to put out the top quality information, but by the time the actual physical book comes out, it's been two years. Uh, and that's exactly how it is, especially with the bigger publishers. I think we're going to see some improvement as people more, move more and more to the eBooks, which um, I've just started to do. I mean, there you can, you can, uh, you could conceivably update it quite frequently. And that gives me some hope that book length documents will continue in this space because um, eventually authors will be able to, on the, just as you would update your website, you can update your ebook uh, so that at least whatever you're selling uh, is, is current information because it's, it's pretty frustrating to those long delay times you're hitting are extremely frustrating in um, fast turnaround uh, information space. Most definitely. In fact, this is a good time at, as we're getting close to the end of the show to mention uh, Hyper Inc. Press. This is a, a new startup backed by Mark Andreessen. 
or Andreessen Horowitz Ventures. Mark Andreessen is one of the very early internet entrepreneur guys. He was a founder of Netscape, um, sort of the, the very first even pre-dot-com bubble. And uh, um, so he's back to this company that takes six weeks to publish a book length thing. They have an army of ghostwriters who works with people who are experts, like top of their field to say, let's get the stuff out before it's stale. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how that helps the entire field of, you know, life extension, life enhancement, and even just, you know, personal performance and productivity, which is more of the bulletproof kind of perspective. I, I think getting the information out more quickly is going to help everybody and updating it, like you said, in near real time is also going to help. Yeah, I think um, the whole publishing industry has to change. It's just not going to work. So um, the old models have to go away. Uh, they have not been keeping up with the technology. And disruptive technologies, here we come yet again. Uh, on that note, we have one question. is isn't maybe entirely disruptive, but it's one question that we ask every guest who's come on the show. And I'd like to ask you that question as our, our final final sort of parting thoughts. And, and it's what are the top three recommendations that you would make for someone who wants to be as powerful, high performance in all their aspects of their life? So this is based on every every bit of experience you have, your experience with aging, with health, with anything else you can think of. Top three things that people should do. Powerful and high performance. You mean physically yep. or every, in any way? in any or always, whatever you think is most important to you. We get a huge variety of answers here. There is no right or wrong answer, but it's sort of like you're a person who's done some really interesting things with your life. You know, we've got you on the show for that reason. You're a leader in your field. So given all the things you've learned, you could say wake up and have coffee, <laughs> but it, it, there, you know, just, just things that matter the most is probably the best way to phrase it. Well, I think the first thing is to decide that you don't work for anybody else. You only work for yourself. So regardless of where you make your money, you decide your own goals and those are your purposes. How you pick up income could be related, it could be unrelated. I think that's a separate issue, but the center of your life, it's not a job for someone else. The center of your life is, is your own and you determine what those purposes are. And they can be pretty separate from money money obviously we all need to eat we need to have a place to live but i think focusing on the on on money uh is i think event i think it's counterproductive in the long term so that's part of it the other is and this is no surprise to your listeners is that i've seen so many brilliant people make the mistake of ignoring their body uh, and your body is your tool set that's how you implement any goal that you have. And so if you abuse your tool set, if you don't take care of your tool set, you are going to fail. You're going to do worse uh, at whatever your goal may be. It, it, even, if it, if, even if you decide your goal is, is making money, whatever it is, if you don't take care of your tool set, you will regret it either very soon or eventually, but I guarantee you, you're going to regret it. And then the third thing is your time. Your time is all you have. All you have is your life, and your life is time. So when you deploy your time, you have to think very carefully. It's, it's precious to you. And things that waste it, things that aren't high value, they just are going to have to go. Um, it's the only way you're going to reach whatever goal you have. So... 
our lives are so overburdened that, uh, you know, we all have multiple things we're trying to accomplish. We have career goals. We have fitness goals. We have friends and family. We have avocations. Uh, some of us have altruistic goals with respect to society. You have to look for extremely high value activities that ideally give you some overlap. So they're not just in one category, because if you add all those up, it's more than 24 hours a day. So how are you going to get, how are you going to make things happen? You have to look for some kind of synergy, right? If you can, it's wonderful. If your central life goal happens to make money, that's fantastic. That's a wonderful overlap. And that's something that young people in particular, while they have that flexibility should focus on really hard. How, how do you make it so that your, your central driving force your, whether it's an altruistic goal or whatever, can you also get some get some income from that so that you have that synergy? Um, another one is overlapping fitness with family. Can you combine those two so that you get twice the bang for the buck for that hour that you're spending? You have to look for those synergies or else. Uh, and then you have to get rid of stuff that isn't high value, You know, whether it's playing on Facebook or playing Worlds of Warcraft or whatever it may be. Stuff that just stuff that isn't isn't fitting into those synergies, stuff that isn't giving you a powerful push forward to whatever goals you have, it's just going to have to go. So I guess those would be my three, Dave. What an awesome list and uh, shows an amazing amount of wisdom. I think I, I really like that one. On that note, would you please tell us the URL for the conference one more time and maybe any other URLs or ways people can contact you if they'd like to, to learn more? We will put all of them in the show notes. Great. Well, the website is, is easy to remember. It's lifeextensionconference.com. And of course, the discount code that you mentioned is SLF. That stands for Smart Life Forum, SLF. So we want to make sure your readers have that. Uh, you can reach me through the conference website, or um, I also wear another hat, which is Foresight Institute, which is the nanotechnology nonprofit, and their website is foresight.org, and they also have really fun conferences. So I look forward to meeting as many listeners as possible. As do I. Christine, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been really cool to talk about robots, life extension, and what's going to happen in 50 years. <laughs> totally appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Dave. You can find links to everything we talked about today in our show notes that are up at bulletproofexec.com. And of course, you'll see the full transcript shortly after this is posted. So you can search it for keywords and everything else we talked about. We'd love it if you left a positive ranking on iTunes or maybe stop by and sign up for our email list at bulletproofexec.com slash mail. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. 
This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.